<clears throat> Let me now invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1 and at verse 27 for our text this morning. Our text then will be found in Philippians chapter 1 and at verse 27 where we read only let your conversation be as it were as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and seeking God's unique blessing, we want to meditate upon these words in context as we find them. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And the title I want to give to our meditation this morning is One Way to Live. One Way to Live. There is only one way for the Christian to live. And here in this text here, the Apostle Paul outlines the way that the Christian is to live. You will know, but we will note that when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was in Rome. He was in prison, and um, we believe the letter was written about A.D. 62. And we read from Acts chapter 16, because there we have the story of how the church was formed. It was formed during Paul's second missionary journey. And as we have dipped into the book of the Acts of the Apostles and other occasions, we rejoice, because there... In the Acts of the Apostles, we see the, the young, fledging Christian church making great strides and inroads into the unbelieving world. The Lord Jesus Christ gave the, the disciples, the apostles, that great commission to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we find in the book of Acts. And it's a great encouragement to the Christian and to the Christian church to read what Christ has done and is doing. And we are to encourage ourselves that despite the, the deadness of the Christian church in our own locality and in this nation and in the Western world in general, yet we can be certain Christ is building his church. And you will know these things, but the, the epistle, Philippians, what characterizes it? It surely is the fact that it's a joyful epistle. Here's Paul in prison, in Rome, and it wouldn't be a holiday camp, but he is oozing joy. Someone has said, at least 19 times in this epistle, Paul mentions joy, rejoicing, or gladness. His life is in danger. 
He doesn't know how it's going to fall out for him. He believes ultimately he will be set free, but he doesn't know that for certain. And as you will know, he says to be with Christ is it's far better should he lose his life. He intends to visit the fledging Philippian church that he founded when in such dramatic uh, manner. He intends to visit them. Verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me by my coming to you again. And he stresses this again in, in chapter 2, verse 24. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He is so concerned about the, the church in Philippi that if he's not going to make it, well, he is definitely going to send Timotheus or Timothy. He was going to come. Verse 19 of the second chapter. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. So here we have the Apostle Paul. He has found himself in Rome in prison, and he's concerned about this fledging gospel congregation in Philippi. And he gives them instructions and in how they are to live their lives. All he can say is he hopes to visit them, but he's not certain. He doesn't know these things. The apostles were inspired when they wrote the scriptures, but they didn't always know the will of God. They had to discern it. They didn't know how things would unfold. But nevertheless, regardless of what happens, this is the way that you are to live. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Well, there are similarities with our own day and generation. There's an obvious similarity in the sense, as I've hinted in my prayer, and as we know for certain, we don't know one moment from the next. We don't know one day. This day has begun. We do not know how it's going to end. These things are hidden from us. And in one sense, we delight that we do not know the future. Nevertheless, we know what God's will is for us, how we are to live. What does 2023 20, hold for you? We don't know. Only God knows the future. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Today, Today, friends, many are perplexed, many are worried, many are anxious, many are fretful, fearful, concerned for the future. Why? Well, ultimately, why? They don't have the great hope of the Christian. Now, Christian, here you are on the first day of a new year. And if you're a Christian, you have a glorious hope through faith. 
you have faith in the living God and what he has done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a glorious hope. And we are not to be perplexed. We're not to be worried. We're not to be anxious. We're not to be fretful. We're not to be fearful. We are not to be concerned. This is what he's telling them. Only let your conversation, that is your lifestyle. He's not just talking here about how you speak. That's part of it, of course. But the conversation he's talking about here is how you live out your lives. And you are to be different from the worldling. Why? Because the worldling has no hope. And maybe there are some here. I don't know. I don't know your hearts. I don't know your circumstances. But if we are the same way as we've come out of our mother's wombs, if we do not know that glorious, that wonderful, that life-changing experience of being born again, then, friends, we're still in a state of nature. Our sins are yet to be forgiven. And we don't have this glorious hope that the Philippians Christians had. What must you do? You must be like the Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Surely this is a question that you must press upon yourself this morning. Sirs, minister, elders, adherents, congregation, what must I do to be saved? This is what you must do. You must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. What a glorious message. This is the message that turned the Philippians upside down. This is a message that formed the church in Philippi. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall have your sins forgiven. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall have the gift of the, of the Holy Spirit. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and all spiritual blessings shall be yours in Christ Jesus the Lord. Why is it then so many are so fearful today? It is because they don't have this hope. But Paul is writing there to people who had this hope. And he's telling them one or two basic things that I wish to draw to your attention this morning. Things I do trust and hope will be for your edification and appropriate for this time of year when we look ahead. Because, friends, many people don't have the blessings you enjoy. They don't have this glorious hope. Recently I saw in a, a newspaper, let me quote one or two things. Here was a newspaper that was serializing a new book that had just come out. Quote, anxious from morning to night, constant knot in your stomach in a liberating new book the author reveals the simple psychological techniques that can switch off your internal panic alarm Woke, eh, quote 
wake up to a new year with no worries. This is what the world offers. But Christ offers us life. I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. And this here was just simply to line the pockets of an author who hasn't got a clue about what he's speaking about. But Paul here does. And he's telling the Christians how they should live their lives. On every day of their life. Not just at the beginning of a new year. But every day of our lives. Here is how we're to live. And sadly, many Christians don't experience the joy that the Apostle Paul speaks of here in this epistle. Why? Why? Friends, to put it very simply, many people's lives are dictated by their circumstances. It's easy to be happy when the sun is shining. It's easy to be happy when there's money in the bank and there's food on the table. You have a warm house. You have all the trims and the trappings of this world. But Paul had nothing there. Yet, there are two things that oozed out of his pores. Even in a rat-infested prison. It was the gospel itself, as we shall note. And it was joy. Real, living, spiritual joy, peace, satisfaction, all of these things he found. And he wants to tell the people how they are to live and to enjoy their blessings that Christ has secured for them by his life and death and resurrection. Well, three brief things I wish to highlight. First of all, the Christian is to be consistent. Here is one thing he's impressing upon them. Only this one thing. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. What is he saying in that statement there? He's telling the Christians, remind yourselves what has happened to you. Remind yourselves who you belong to. Remind yourselves that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the Son of God has done for you in order to save you. That you do not belong unto yourself. You have been redeemed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but you have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ had to come from heaven in order to redeem you. He didn't do it in heaven because he couldn't do it in heaven. He had to become like us, as we noticed last week. And Christian, this is it. You are to live a consistent Christian life as becomes the gospel. 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes certain demands upon us. And Paul, in other parts of the scripture, reiterates this. This is not an isolated text. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. What does he beseech them to do? That ye walk worthy of the vocation wherein ye are called. O oh, Christian, in some sense we are to be filled with pride. Not in ourselves, not in our achievements, no. But you are to be filled with pride in the sense that you belong to the family of God. And that you are God's children in this world. And you are to stand out like a sore thumb maybe. But you are to be like a light that shines on a hill. You are to be seen. Your life is to be real. It is to be like a real Christian. That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. As we embrace these things, surely we admit we fail. We are not what we should be. Our family, our friends, can they not point fingers at us? Can they not say, well, you're not a great Christian? And what about ourselves? We know ourselves. Does our own heart not often condemn us? We are not what we should be. That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Colossians goes on. That you might walk worthy of the Lord. Have we ever walked worthy of the Lord? Have we ever done it? Oh, we might aspire, we might aim, but we fail, do we not? But we are to be consistent, consistently walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as I have said before and as others have said on other occasions, friends, the world out there, our unbelieving family, our unbelieving friends, our unbelieving neighbors, they don't read their Bibles. They don't come to the house of God. They get their Christianity from you. What a thought. They judge Christianity by you, by your behavior, by your speech, by your manner, by the way you live. That's how they evaluate Christianity. And they may well say when they look at our lives, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, and remember the Apostle Paul had to establish his authority that he was truly an apostle and that he didn't need letters of commendation from others. He came, he formed the church by the grace of God and he was telling the, the, the Corinthians there, ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. He was able to say that about the Corinthians They were the fruit of his labors. He didn't need letters of commendation. He didn't need letters of introduction. The very fact that he came and he preached the gospel and that people were converted and saved. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. 
What is this teaching us? This is teaching us the seriousness of having a a discipled, a disciplined, consistent Christian walk. You know, it's very easy to be a Christian and come to the house of God on 11 o'clock on a a Sunday morning. And maybe come back at 6 o'clock on a Sunday evening. And maybe if we're really good, we come out to the prayer meeting. But what about the other times of the days? What about the other days? When we get home and we hang up our coat or our jacket, do we take off our Christianity? When we go to work on Monday morning, do we leave our Christianity behind? Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And what he's impressing upon them here surely is not just when Paul is around, He wants to come and visit them, as I said. But at the moment, he's absent from them. And maybe when he would come, maybe some would stir themselves up. And they might be more dedicated. They might be more committed when he's around. But when he's gone, maybe they're not so committed. Is that the way with us? Is that the way with you? Friends, being a Christian is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week experience, vocation, calling. We can't be part-time Christians. And we can't stir ourselves up when we're in pious company. We're to take our Christianity with us always. So what is it to live like a Christian? Well, briefly, it is to continually trust upon the Lord. You first trusted in him when you saw your sin and misery. You saw you were lost. You saw you were perishing. And God revealed the Savior. Oh, and you delighted in him. Oh, you embraced him. Oh, you said, this is it. Here's my Savior. He has loved me before the foundation of the world. He has died in my room and in my place. Oh, how I love my Savior. But you're to continually trust upon that Savior. Day by day, moment by moment. And friends, if you're really growing in Christ, if you're really maturing as a Christian, that experience when you first trusted in Him should be repeated. In fact, it should be enhanced as you know more of your sin. You want more of your Savior. You see your great need of your Savior more than you ever did before. And don't despair if that is your experience. You first saw you needed Him, you trusted Him. Well, If you're truly growing in grace, your Savior should become more real and precious to you as each day passes. Paul. Was one who continually trusted 
in the Saviour. He was in prison, in chains. Still, he trusted in the Saviour. He didn't let circumstances get him down. You know, there's, there's certain ways we can approach life. He was given a commission to be a preacher to the Gentiles. No doubt when he first went to Rome, or no doubt when he thought he would go to Rome, it would be as a preacher. Instead, he went first as a prisoner. This is not what he signed up for, we might say, in modern parlance. But this is the way that God worked. This is the way that God was going to use him. And he didn't then go and mope in a corner. Instead, he recognized and he grasped his circumstances. And he said, what is God going to do here? He was so positive about these things. In chains, in a cold dungeon. Yet he saw and he trusted in the living God. And that God would use his circumstances, even these dire circumstances, to further the cause and kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't read uh, chapter 1 of Philippians, but... He says in verse 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. You know, many people would pack it in. Many people would say, Oh, here I am in prison. It's curtains. There's nothing for me to do. But Paul recognized that God was sovereign even in a Roman prison and that the gospel could not be fettered. And it was all going to be used ultimately for the furtherance of the gospel. How was this to be? Well, Paul was there. He was chained. He would be chained to guards. And these guards would come every six hours or so. And they would change. He was on a 24-hour guard. Four guards would be there for every day. Do you think the Apostle Paul was silent? When the guards were there... Holding him. This man oozed prayer. This man oozed the gospel. He would be speaking to the guard. What would the guard do? He would be hearing the gospel. He might not want to hear it, but he would hear it. What would the guard do? He would go home. He would speak to his wife, his children. Hey, there's a man there in the prison. He's not a really a prisoner. He's not a criminal. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the gospel. These guards would be converted. Their homes would be transformed. The gospel would go on. Here, the Apostle Paul was not, he was shackled physically, but the gospel was not. What else would happen? Paul would speak to the officials. You know, Paul was, on a, was in there in the prison on an official charge. He was being charged with propagating a false gospel or a false religion a religion that was not recognized by Rome now Rome recognized Judaism 
And therefore the officials would have to come along before the Apostle Paul would be brought to court. The officials would have to come along and they would have to hear from Paul what this religion was. And the, the officials would then be able to decide whether this religion was a new religion or whether it was an offshoot of Judaism. You get the point. The Apostle Paul here was talking, proclaiming, testifying about the gospel to these officials. In bonds, in chains, fettered, yet friends, the gospel was not. The guards, the officials, people in Caesar's household were being saved. Don't let your circumstances chain you. You may be elderly. You may be infirm. You may be housebound. You may be a young mother with children and you might feel, well, there's not much I can do for the kingdom of God. Friends, we have to say to these things, nonsense, nonsense. God is able. He can change things. Who was in some sense more handicapped than the Apostle Paul? Yet the gospel was going on. And the very fact that he was in prison and that he was maintaining a joyful approach to all his difficulties was encouraging other people to go out and preach the gospel. Verse 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Don't let your circumstances be chains. God is able to break open these chains. What else is, is it then to live like a Christian? Well, it surely is to be obedient to the Lord. Paul in prison was obedient. Jesus Christ was his saviour in prison. In that four walls where he could do very little, he was obedient. This is what marks out a Christian. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. That's what Paul says to the Colossians, chapter 4, verse 5. Let your speech be always with grace, obedient to the Lord his God. It's to walk humbly before the Lord. If anyone should be humble, it should be the Christian. What has made you to differ? What has made you a Christian? Was it your own free will? Was it your own choice? No. It was the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It's a very appropriate verse here. He has showed thee, old man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Christian, humility should mark your life. Every day. Many will make New Year's resolutions. Probably before the day's out, they'll all be forgotten, all broken. Here is something that we should adopt, all of us. One way to live our lives, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. My time is up. I have other things to say, but I feel it's appropriate to draw our service to a close at this point. One way to live, to put Christ central, to have him on the throne of our hearts and to live in a way that becometh the gospel of Christ. Amen. And may God bless his word to us.